0: are still talking about uh, being careful, be careful what you hear. You need to be careful about what you're hearing. These days so many things are being said so you need to be careful and it's very obvious that we are responsible for the things that we hear and to the person. We are responsible for the person that we listen to, you know. um, so. Uh, the Bible is in 2 Timothy chapter 4 I want to bring out something from here there's a reason why I keep on reading this text because it is the basis for this uh, discussion we'll be having for some weeks now let us not forget what God is trying to bring to us I did say in the first service that uh, quite often God will bring a message that is applicable uh, to an individual sometimes applicable to a group sometimes to a local church sometimes to the whole church worldwide And so uh, you would hear sometimes, you hear one person preach about something uh, here, and then you switch on your television, you hear somebody else in America preaching about a similar thing. And, uh, you know, it's an indication that uh, at every point in time, there's something that God wants his people to hear. And it tells that God is saying something to us. So Paul was writing to Timothy in the book of uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, and in verse 2, He writes to Timothy, preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. And uh, I know we've been reading this for some weeks now. But, you know, the thing with me is that every time I read the Bible, it's like something new comes up to me. (laughs) You know, the revelation of the word of God is progressive. Nobody can ever get the full Import of uh, what the Word of God is saying. We know in part. The Bible says we do know in part. And so it's important that we make use of the part that we do know. So every time you read God's Word, you receive revelation and you receive understanding. It is progressive and uh, it is incremental. So the Bible, Paul's, Paul writes, says, preach the Word of God, be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Now, this statement gives us an impression that what Paul is about to talk about is very crucial. You know, if something is very crucial, then you want to do it regardless of how you feel. Now, if you've got something very important out, let's say you've got one of your favorite dresses. Uh, This is summer now, you know. I know this is England, but then this is summertime. And uh, even though it's summer, it rains quite often, but once in a while, it's sunny. And so you got one of your, say, Anik got one of her favorite dresses that she 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 bought for 140 pounds, you know, very special. And uh, she's put it in the washing machine and uh, things like that. And then she wants to use it over, you know, it's a Saturday afternoon, and she wants to use it, you know, to church on Sunday morning. It's a Saturday. And she put it out to, to dry on the line outside in the garden, and then... All of a sudden, she looks out, and it's beginning to rain, and the rain is heavy. You see? Does she just forget about the dress? Because she likes the dress, she loves the dress, and she will want to use it next day to church. She rushes, maybe takes an umbrella, or she dashes out in the rain to go and retrieve the dress and bring it back in. Now, if it's an old dress that she doesn't have need of much, she will just forget about it and you know, to, you know, wait for another, you know, Son to come out again to dry and things like that. So, you know, people go after things depending on the level of their desperation, the level of need. You know, you, you don't just put in any sacrifice unless something is crucial. You know, if it is crucial, you are going to pay the price no matter what. You know, Jesus Christ talks quite a few times, uh, giving an illustration about the kingdom. You know, he likened the kingdom of God to someone Was looking for something very precious, very precious, and a precious pearl. And then he found a a field, and it was, was, you know, filled, I mean, it was buried, these things. And so the Bible says he went and sold everything that he had and bought that piece of land just because of what was in it. You know, people pay a great price for something that they value so much, people sacrifice for something uh, that they love so much. Now, uh, whatever we love is determined by the extent or the level of sacrifice that, or the price we're willing to pay. You know It shows we love you so much. You know sometimes maybe your salary is just a thousand pounds, and you may see something that is maybe 200 pounds. And to somebody who earns 5,000 pounds a month, that may not be much, but your salary is a1,000 pounds, and you see a very address that is 200 pounds. To you, that is quite expensive. So, but you love that dress so much. What are you gonna do? You're gonna sacrifice. I said, Look, I'm going to give up some things this month and I'm gonna buy me this dress. Because especially that it was 250 before, now it's come down to 199. <laughs> you didn't budget for it, all right? You know, typical women and also men, you know. This dress was going for 250 pounds. Now they are doing some sales. It's 199. I didn't budget for it, and uh, you know, so I'm going to just go for it. Close my eyes and go for it, you know, because it, it you know, it may not be here any longer. You pay the price. You pay. There's a sacrifice because why you love it so much. But I tell you something: the kingdom of God is worth even dying for. Oh yes. You know, there are people that have given their lives for the sake of the kingdom. Jesus Christ talked about it. That if you lose your life for the sake of the kingdom, you will gain it. You know, but then there are people that are so, they so much love this world that they don't want to give it up. But Jesus Christ said something. He said, if anyone is going to come after me, they must deny themselves, take up the cross, and follow me daily. There is a sacrifice in following Jesus. You know, we finished the first service that started 9.30. And I know um, a, quite a couple of people that worked overnight and came at least, I mean, people that came to greet with me, at least two people that came to greet with me told me that they were coming from work. At least a couple of people. They walk, went to work, worked overnight, and straight from work, they came to church. Now, they, 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 there must be something to what they are doing. You don't just do that unless there's something that you, you have seen that is precious. And quite often, we have to be prepared to pay the price. You know, um, in the 80s, when I was developing myself spiritually, you know, know, I didn't have money. Where the church was was about maybe three kilometers away where our church was. I would, you know, trek to church, trek to church, and uh, get to church early. I calculated the time, so I knew, get, got to church in time, you know, I have to put up the instruments and put up the drums and things like that. Well, I did play music a little bit, you know, but we went there to clean the church and and. uh, you know, put up the instruments and things like that. So I did that, and I didn't feel anything. I would just be praying a little bit, walking on the road for two, three kilometers. we we'll finish, i would walk two, three kilometers home. And, you know, vehicles would pass me and go, but they didn't bother me, you know, and uh, spend time reading the Bible, praying, you know, and so on, develop myself and things like that. The surprise, I was paying the price. I didn't even know that I was going to be a preacher, you know, but I just decided to develop myself, you know, and um, Thank God, it paid off. You know, I grew in the knowledge of God, grew in the things of God. You know, I was passionate. I don't, you know, till today, till today, and I've taught my children like that. You, I don't. I've never really missed a service in my life, just sitting at home. Since I became a Christian in 1978, so for 42, what, 43 years or something. You know, I don't just sit at home just because I'm tired and it is church. You know, I've known my wife now for what 38 years or something. Even though we've been married 26 years, but I've known her for 38 years. (laughs) You know, I don't ever sit at home just like that. When I was a small boy in the village, uh, whenever I was not allowed to go to church, I cried. I loved going to church. I loved following my mom to church, you know, and things like that. And so I've always loved church. You know, I've been here in, what, 20-something years unless, if I'm not in church, unless I've traveled, you know, no matter what. I think it's only once, because if it is just sickness, very, I mean, thank God I'm always healthy most of the time. You know, I don't get to be sick and things like that. But, you know, I think it's just once I miss a service because it was an injury when I couldn't walk. You know, I, I had an injury. But if not, no matter what, I am going to make sure I'm in church. You know, so there's a price to pay. If you want to develop and grow spiritually, there's a price to pay. I thank God for some of you. You know, you put in the time. You know, thank God, Sister Rosie, God bless you. Once it is Sunday like this, she's buried herself in the church here because she comes here early, stares for for the first service, stares for the second service. She, you know, she says, Look, what am I going home to do? I'm going to stay here. You know? (laughs) Hallelujah. And thank God, God is doing something in her life. And thank God for those of you too, God is doing something in your life. You know, in this life, um, nothing just falls on your laps. Even in your career, you have to work. In your studies, you have to work. Anything, there's nothing. That you can't just sit down and things happen like that. You know, those of us that preach, you know, uh, I mean, I had to sleep le- um, late, or oh, can I say early this morning, Not, you know, so, uh, and things like that. So, I, when I go home on, Saturday, on Sundays, then I go and try to rest and things like that. But Saturday night, I spend time praying, And and studying the word of God and preparing to preach, so there's a price to pay, even when you are doing God's work. How much more when we are doing our own thing? So, this life you have to work. You know, there's no room for laziness. There's a price. So there was a sense of urgency here, and I want you to catch this carefully before we continue from where we stopped last Sunday. Paul says, "Preach the word of God. Be prepared." Whether the time is favorable or not. This means that the situation is urgent. It means that it is imperative. It means that, you know, something just has to be done. And so why is Paul saying this? So the answer is in verse 3. So in verse 3, he says, for a time, you know, if you look at that word, the use of that word for... It connects what Paul is saying in verse 2 to what he's about to say. You know, um, you know a little bit of English. Or some of us are just a little bit. We are not English. But from our little knowledge of English, you know that you don't just get up and start a, a conversation with the word for. Unless there's something you have already said that you are connecting what you're about to say with. You know, So he, Paul says in verse 3, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to the sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching is, want to hear. It says they will reject the truth and chase after myths. Now, so this is a big problem, and you better believe it is. Because, um, By chasing after people who want to tell you what you want to hear. So that uh, even though you are wrong, they tell you you are okay. You are going this way, it is wrong, but they tell you you are just fine. You know, there are people like that. You know, the moment you try to correct them, you become their enemy. They want you, even when they are wrong, they want to be told they are right. And... (laughs) You don't want to be the kind of person that will be telling people, even when you can see clearly that they are wrong, you are telling them that they are, they are right. You are misleading them, as a matter of fact. So, but the Bible here says that people will always want to be told what they want to hear. You know, people come to church, all I want about church is encouragement. I want to go to church so that I will be encouraged. No. In this life... You know, nobody builds their life only on encouragement. You know, if everything you are going after is encouragement, 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 you'll be brittle, you will not be able to, to stand anything. When tough times come, you can't stand. There's a reason. Even pain has a reason, has a purpose. Pain. All right? Pain is not altogether negative. Pain, God has allowed pain to be there as part of this life. Because pain quite often draws your attention to something that you're about to get into that is more dangerous than the pain you're feeling. There's a way God created your body. God didn't create your body for your hands to twist all the way back and folding back like a, an animal, like a monkey. So when you begin to pull your hands right back, it goes only a certain level. And what happens? After that, you begin to feel pain. And what does it mean? What does that pain tell you that you are beginning to go beyond the limit? There's a reason you put your hand on the fire and you feel pain so that you would draw your hand, because if not, your hand will get burnt completely if you didn't feel the pain. So there's a reason. So, but we develop through both tough times and good times. So nobody builds their life only on encouragement, 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 encouragement. No. And the Bible says in the same book of Timothy, we don't have time to read, that the scripture, the word of God, is given for teaching, to teach us, but to correct us, to reprove us, and to instruct us. So there are times the word of God will correct you. There are times the word of God will instruct you. There are times the word of God will teach you. Yes, there are times the word of God will encourage you, depending on your situation. But there are times the word of God will have to tell you off, because if you are doing the wrong thing, the word of God is not going to tell you you are doing just fine. And so no preacher that is actually called of God will be telling you that you are doing just fine. You know, if clearly what you are doing is wrong. So Paul says that because of this situation, the remedy is preach the word. So that means the word of God is the remedy. It is the cure for this kind of situation where people are running up and down, wanting to listen to myths and only wanting to listen to what they want to hear. And so we have looked at the meaning of the word myth, which is widely held but false belief or idea. And then we went on last Sunday. Let's go on down to uh, not one, where we. Uh, okay, there's something here. We read the book of First Kings, chapter 13. And we read about this prophet, right? I don't know if you. I think we. Uh, this is the second service, so uh, I think we'd probably reach here. Maybe we didn't, but let me. Did we reach, uh, who was in the second service last? We did, yeah? Okay, let me just make reference to it because of that. I'll just make reference. So First Kings chapter 13, we remember the story of this prophet, man of God. God called him and said, I want to send you. So God sent him down to a particular king. Go and deliver this message to the king. Uh, but don't eat there. Don't drink there. And don't come back the same way that you are going. So you go this way, deliver the message, don't eat, don't drink, don't come back this way, go back the other way, come back the other way, and come right back to your own place. And so the Bible says that this prophet went, delivered the message, and actually a miracle took place there uh, with the king. So the king asked him to come back and eat. He said, no, God told me not to eat, not to drink. So fine, so he got on his way. But the Bible also says that there was this old prophet when he heard the news he asked for a donkey to be saddled for him, so he went after the man of God, met him sitting down under a tree, and said to him, are you the man of God that God sent down? He said, yes, I am. He said, come back and eat. He said, no, 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 God told me not to come and eat. He said, oh, God told you that, but now an angel has told me to tell you to come and eat. (laughs) But the Bible says that he lied to him. So the prophet, the man of God, followed that wrong voice, went back with the old prophet, ate, drank, and while they were eating, the old prophet now got up and said to him, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord, your corpse will not reach where you came from. Now, and the Bible says that uh, as the man, the prophet, went back, a lion attacked him and killed him, left his corpse by the roadside. And the old prophet came and took his that his cuffs and went and performed some funeral rites on him, as it were. So, but the key thing here, brethren, that we must not is that you are responsible and accountable for what and who you listen to. I cannot overemphasize this. You know, even in this life, let me give you an illustration even. Let me just come more practical. All right? If in, this is UK. So somebody deceives you, tricks you, misleads you into committing a crime. And you are caught. So you go to court. And you stand in the witness box. whatever it is, I mean, uh, in the defendant's court or whatever it is, and they begin to ask you, look, this is the charge being brought against you, guilty or not guilty. Now, you committed the crime, but somebody misled you, somebody deceived you, somebody tricked you, somebody lied to you, but you committed the crime, and here you are standing, and you are asked to plead guilty or not guilty. What are you going to say? <laughs> I guess some people will say, well, not guilty. So they'll say, OK, fine. And uh, the, then the prosecuting lawyers will begin to examine you. They say, OK, why do you say you are not guilty? They say, well, because I was deceived. And then the judge is sitting over there. And then the jury, maybe there's 12 of them or whatever it is, the ju- six of them, the jury. And so, well, listen, the judge is sitting there, and they say, well, I'm not guilty because I was deceived. So the jury goes off to go and sit and deliberate. So when the jury comes back, and they ask, okay, guilty or not guilty, what do you think the jury will come up What verdict do you think they will come up with? Will they come and say, well, because you are deceived, so you are not guilty, you are free as acquitted. Is that what's going to happen? No. This is the law of the land, and I believe it happens in any any country you can go to. Even what even what they call manslaughter, you killed somebody mistakenly, whatever it is, you didn't plan on killing the person. Still, you, can you imagine this? You are driving a car, you didn't mean to hit somebody. You didn't mean to. You didn't plan on kill, hitting the person, but you hit the person and the person dies. What happened? You are still charged. So, the fact that you were deceived, you were misled, does not exonerate you from the consequences of the crime committed. Simple. I don't know of any law in any land that you can go and stand and say, Well, because I was deceived, so that means I'm not guilty. I don't know of any law that works like that. You know, they even say that ignorance of the law. You know, it's not an excuse for breaking the law. You have you ever heard that kind of thing? Even if, because you're ignorant, even if it's not enough. So you're deceived, it is not enough. Now, but this is life. But the worst part of it is if it has to do with spiritual life or spiritual things. The worst part of it is if, if it has to do with the issue of your salvation. Now, you know... People get up today and preach and say there is no God. Do you know that there's a large number of people in the world today who call themselves 80s? In America, they probably have a branch here. There's an association of atheists. They have their president, their vice president, their officials. They meet, raise money, call themselves atheists. They come out openly, proclaim themselves to be 80s. That there is no God. That is their own mission, to proclaim that there is no God. Now they can come and talk to you, tell you everything to try to so-called prove to you that there is no God. The thing is that if you believe them and refuse now to believe in God, on the last day when God shows up, when Jesus shows up, you cannot say, well, somebody, the atheist told me that there is no God. That is never going to work. So you are responsible for what you hear. You are responsible for what you believe. You are responsible for who you listen to. You are responsible. I know young people, even older people, you are responsible for the friends you keep because they influence you. I've said it here before quite a number of times. You cannot choose your siblings, but you can choose your friends. Any person born in your family, you have no choice. They are your brother, they are your sister. <laughs> you can't choose that. You can't choose. This young Emmanuel here, this is Sister Victoria here. You can't choose. No matter what. Even if you have a fight, you can't just say, Well, you are no longer my sister. The thing is that she is his sister, whether he likes it or not. That is there. That is just it. He has no choice. They may not be getting on well, but they are still brother and sister. You can't choose that, but the thing is that I can choose my friends. I decide who I go out with. I was telling them in the morning when I was in secondary school in the 70s, in the mid-70s, you know, looking at around 1976, 1977, no, that, there was a boy, you know, you know, one of my classmates, he tried to persuade me, because I went to a boarding school in you know in Nigeria in those days. Um, boarding schools were the no, really, you know, uh, you know, very few schools that people went for, or children went from home, you know. So most of the colleges, secondary schools, they were boarding schools. So went to boarding school and uh, you know, fence, The school is fenced. You know. But some of these boys would look for a way of jumping the fence, over the fence, and climbing, going to town, uh, to go and watch films in the cinemas and go and drink, get drunk, and maybe carry some girls or whatever it is. One boy tried to persuade me. I refused. He tried to persuade me to smoke. I refused. He tried to persuade me to, you know, to jump the fence to go to town. I refused, you know. But he lived that life, smoking, drinking, and not being serious with his studies. And eventually, when we finished, he failed almost all his papers, you know. So, but eventually, years later, you know, he heard about me and, the, you know. Um, called me up and asked for that some years ago, you know. But of course I felt for him because, you know, he needed some school fees for his children and things like that, you know. So I, I, I did send him some money, you know. I didn't want to judge him and say, well, okay, when we're in school, you know, you see, we're not serious and things like that, you know. <laughs> I didn't do that kind of a thing. But what I'm trying to say is that, um, I, I said in the morning, I, al- I, I always told our children, our girls, I said to them, when they were, even when they were in primary school, and then they went to the secondary school now, and then university, and so on, I told them, said, don't allow other bad children to influence you. Because the irony of it all is that they can influence you now, and you begin to do some bad things, but by the time you finish school, and they go, you may never see them again for the rest of your life. But the damage they have done, you can suffer with it for the rest of your life. There are people today that picked up bad habits from bad friends in primary school. Until today, they are still struggling with that bad habit. But but the person that influenced them in primary school, they have never met again. And they may never meet but the consequences of their influence. Sometimes they influence you as a young girl. You get into some bad things, and you end up getting married, and you carry that bad thing into your marriage, and your marriage suffers. They influence you to develop some bad habits. You carry that bad habit into your career, even though you're intelligent. Bad attitude means that you cannot keep a job because you are fighting with colleagues and staff, fighting with your managers. Because you picked up a bad habit from somebody. There are people today, millions of people are suffering around the world today. Check out. Any bad habit any person is struggling with, they picked it up because of the influence of another person. So the worst part is that those people that you picked up the bad habits from, You may never see them again. But you live and struggle with the consequences all your life. Now, that is bad enough. But the worst thing has to do with your salvation. The issue of eternal life. Thank God you can patch up problems here in this life. (laughs) You know, manage things. And sometimes maybe people that had some of those bad influences when they were unbelievers. And sometimes, later on, they give their lives to Jesus, and they are able to pick some things up. But still, quite often, those areas continue to be an area where the devil always tries to exploit. Because the devil knows that anything you have had an issue with before in the past, you are more likely to fall into it again. So you find out that you you have to continue to pray. I prayed for somebody about 20 years ago here, you know, in the UK here. And, uh, you know, I mean, it was a very terrible past the person had, you know. After some time, the person came back to me and said, look, pastor, it looks like I I can't relax or rest at all. Any little lapse at all is like the the problem is right on top of me. I said, yes, unfortunately, because of your past, you cannot just live an ordinary life again. Because you see, the Bible says that when evil spirits leave a person, they go to wander in dry places. And the first place they try to think of going back to is where they were cast away from. That's what Jesus Christ said. That's the place. Because they succeeded there before. If you're a business person and you go around trying to get business, you can't. And you remember one place that you had business with before. <laughs> you want to go back there to try to look for contract in that place. So the, you know, so the areas of our lives that we have been vulnerable in before become the constant targeting of the enemy. I'm not saying this is us. This is reality. But this is so that we have to stand up and resist the enemy. Amen? But the, uh, the, 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 the worst part of it is if we picked up some of those bad habits from people, but you see, we are suffering the consequences. And I pray that God will help us and deliver us. Hallelujah. And I put it there, number two, that deception is the worst thing that can ever happen to you, especially in spiritual things. This is because you get to suffer the consequences even though you were clearly deceived, as in the scripture we read in that first, Kings 13, that prophet was clearly deceived, and yet... He died for believing a lie. All right. not three, go on. Satan uses lies and deception to exploit us in desperate times of need, desire, and circumstances by offering solutions that are temporal but with grave consequences at the end. You know, we need to be careful because when you are vulnerable... When you are vulnerable, when you are desperate, that is when the devil tries to come up with a solution. The devil tries to exploit our weakness. He tries to exploit our desires. He tries to to exploit our circumstances. Remember, Jesus Christ, the Bible says, Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And the Bible says very clearly that after those 40 days that Jesus was hungry. Okay? What happened? Satan came. What was the first temptation? It had to do with food. Because the devil knew that Jesus was hungry. So Jesus, in in, in essence, he thought, look, Jesus is now very hungry. So I think I am more likely to succeed in this particular area, so let me bring this temptation about food to him. So the devil tries to figure out the areas of our most desperate needs where we are vulnerable, where we are, you know, tired, where we are, we are, we are, we are discouraged. So he exploits all those things, you know. So the Bible says that the, um, Jesus Christ overcame him. So Satan exploits our situations. And our circumstances, you see, when you are facing a very difficult situation, you need to be more careful about who you listen to and what you listen to. Because if you listen to the wrong voice, you make the wrong decision. We need to be careful. We need to be careful. Because sometimes the devil will come through people and get you to cut corners. The devil will come and deceive you and say, well, everybody is doing it. But you see, the thing is this. One thing we need to understand is this. There is enough punishment for everybody <laughs> in the world. If everybody, <laughs> if everybody does wrong in the world, there's enough punishment to go around. <laughs> you know, so, but, but the thing is that you know, just because everybody is doing that doesn't mean that that will lessen the gravity of the situation at all. At the end of the day, when we stand before God, We stand before God as individuals. So don't be deceived. I say, don't be deceived. Jeremiah chapter 28. Just in line with what I'm talking about. Now, the people of God, they were in a situation. So, of course, the devil tried to use one prophet to come and give a false prophecy. And it came in the same year at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, that's Jeremiah 28, verse 1, king of Judah, in the fourth year and in the fifth month, that Hananiah, the son of Azul, the prophet, who was from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests, and of all the people. So, if I pause here a little bit, this was not somewhere In a kind of a hidden temple No This was in the house of God Because the Bible says the priests were there And Jeremiah the prophet He was also there Other people worshipping God They were also there So right in the middle of this Church service if you will This guy got off verse 2 He gives this word He said, thus speaks the Lord of hosts So in essence this is what God is saying said the God of Israel saying say, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon within 2 full years I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon took away from this place and carried to Babylon said and I will bring back to this place Jeconiah the son of Jehoiakim king of Judah with all the captives of Judah who went to Babylon says the Lord For I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Mm. That's a good thing to hear when you are in a problem. And the wordings, nothing wrong with the wordings of this prophecy. As a matter of fact, you know, three things, as a matter of fact, we need to be careful about. You know, the words. That we are hearing or listening to, then the person that is speaking those words, then the spirit behind that person. By what spirit is that person speaking? Because it is possible that the person could have heard wrong. It is possible that Satan is speaking to that person. It is possible. It is possible. Peter was with Jesus all the while. But there was a time Satan was speaking to Peter. And there was nothing wrong actually with what Peter was saying, except that Peter was not speaking by the Spirit of God. Jesus had to say to him, get thee behind me, Satan. So sometimes it's more subtle, more difficult, if the person that is speaking is somebody we know, and looks like whatever they say, you can take to the bank. But this is where we need to be careful. So what is the remedy? That even people that are called of God, if they are not careful, sometimes the devil can speak to them. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. You know, (laughs) we see it all through the scriptures. And that is where the danger is. That is why today millions of people are being deceived by preachers. Because, well, if the person is a the preacher, then everything they are saying is right. But I think that we need to read the word of God for ourselves. Secondly, brethren, secondly, one of the most important aspects of our Christian living is the presence of the Holy Spirit within us. I want you to know this. Because as a matter of fact, it, 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 it will take the Holy Spirit in you. To discern that what this person is saying, because you know them to be a man of God, you know them to be cutting the Bible, and what they are saying sounds biblical. What they are saying sounds scriptural. What they are saying suits the occasion. There is no way you will know that it is not God except the spirit of God within you. There's no way. So that is why we need to understand the power of the Spirit of God within us. The Bible says that when, if a person is born again, the Spirit of God comes to dwell in you. And the Spirit of God teaches you to discern the things of God. First John says, the Spirit of God, or the anointing that you have received, which is the Spirit of God, teaches you all things. The Bible says also that the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are the children or the sons of God. Now, um, it's one of the key things, let me deviate a little bit, because sometimes that is what people struggle with. People struggle with the fact, with the assurance, whether or not they are saved. People ask somebody, are you saved? Are Are you sure you are saved? Sometimes people are not sure. You know, sometimes they are not sure. But the Bible says that the Spirit of God, if you have truly and genuinely asked Jesus to come into your life, the Spirit of God comes to dwell within you. And what happens? The Spirit of God gives you that peace and that witness that you are a child of God. Now, if you are sitting here listen listening to me at home by YouTube or whatever it is, and you believe that you are a child of God, And you believe that because you have Jesus in you, if you were to die today, you would go to heaven. Which is great. Which is great. But let me tell you something that witness, that assurance that you have that you are a child of God did not come by prophecy, (laughs) it did not come because you saw a vision. It did not come because you saw an angel. Are you getting me? Brother Gideon, God bless you, my brother. I know you are a child of God, born again. You are sure you are a child of God. Did you see an angel? Did you see a vision? Did you receive a prophecy? Okay, thus says the Lord from today, Brother Gideon, you are now a child of God. No? No? What happened in here? The witness of the Spirit. One of the greatest benefits that Christians have neglected, unconsciously I must say, unknowingly I must say, is the power of the witness of the Spirit within. You know, we are more likely to listen to visions uh, that somebody told us they saw a vision, somebody told us they saw an angel, somebody told us an angel spoke to them, somebody t- told us maybe, you know, it gives us a prophecy, we are looking out for these outward things, you know, I want to hear a prophecy and somebody comes to share the word with us, we don't want to hear, have you seen an angel? Before we listen, uh, somebody comes to talk to us, have you seen a vision? Before we give a... But we miss. What is here all the time? All the time. Now, the most important aspect of your life here on earth, there is nothing greater. Seriously speaking, there is nothing greater. The most important knowledge or assurance you can ever have is that you are a child of God. Nothing beats that. To know That your sins are forgiven, that you are a child of God, and that you are going to heaven because of that is the greatest knowledge you can ever have here on earth. And yet, as great as it is, that knowledge does not come through prophecy. That witness or knowledge does not come through vision. That knowledge does not come through an angel. It comes simply by the Spirit of God. When you receive Jesus, Jesus comes into you, the Holy Spirit of God comes into you, and the Holy Spirit gives you that assurance, that knowing, which cannot be explained in words, that you are a child of God by faith. Hallelujah. Praise God. Now, now, listen carefully here. You see, that witness is more of a kind of a peace, it is a release. It is an assurance. It is not necessarily words. You can't articulate those kind of things. I know there are times that the Spirit of God can speak. I know there are times God speaks. But there's something about this witness. It's an intuition. It is something that you cannot just articulate. You can't just put into words. But it is there. Because you can't come. Jesus Christ explained in John chapter 3. He said, as the wind blows... From east to west or north to west or whatever it is, you don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going. He said, That is how somebody that is born of God or born of the Spirit of God is. In essence, when the wind is blowing, you don't know where it started from. Even though you can, the only thing you can say, maybe, okay, it's blowing from the west towards the east. That's all. You cannot see the wind. You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going to. But you can feel the effects of the wind. Says that is how the life of somebody that is born of the Spirit is. You cannot explain, it. but the effects, and you know, you can see clearly the effect. You can know, you see that look, this person's life is not the same, but you cannot explain how. So, that is how the Spirit of God operates. So, the Spirit of God in you helps you, in, according to 1 Corinthians. The Bible says we have received the Spirit of God in us so that we will know by the Spirit of God in us the things that are given to us by God. So the Spirit of God in you helps you know the things that are from God. You know, uh, contrary to the things that are of the devil because God by his Spirit will help you to know. Now, let me tell you one simple thing here. If you've been a Christian for a while, you probably would have heard somebody say this. Maybe you have said this. Maybe they did something that was not right. They took a a a step that wasn't right. They made a decision that wasn't right. And then after some time, things just heads out and things are not working well. And they say, oh, my goodness. And I had this kind of little hesitation about it. I felt like something was telling me not to do. You see that? (laughs) this thing that we call... That, I felt like something was telling me not to, you know, but I couldn't explain. Something was telling me not to do it. Something was telling me not to do it, you know, but uh, anyhow, I ended up doing it. Now I'm regretting. That thing that we call something, that is the witness of the spirit of God. You will not go the, You are not going to hear this. we are going go shouting, oh, no, stop that. It doesn't work like that. Sometimes, just simple things like this. Sometimes it's just a, a strong urge to do something that is right. Or it's a kind of a sense of restraint, a sense of inhibition. There's a hold back. You know, you want to do something, but something seems to be holding you back. If for nothing else, if you have that kind of sensation, wait and pray. More likely, and most likely, you'll come to find out that, you know, the step you were about to take was the wrong one. And that's how the Holy Spirit helps you. Just that little thing from within you here. It's not a voice. It's not a prophecy. It's not a vision. It's not a revelation. Thank God. Once in a while we may get that. But you notice that we don't get revelations and visions and, and dreams and, prof- and angels all the time. You don't. There are most Christians, 90%, 99% of Christians will probably live and die. They will never, they've never seen an angel. You know? So we have to go by the spirit of God and we listen to the spirit of God. So sometimes, you know, you want to do something and if there is any kind of restraint in your heart, take time to pray. Hallelujah. Take time to pray. Take time to pray. So here, because the only way you're going to know, especially if something sounds good and it fits your situation, if it is wrong, the only way that you're going to know is by the help of the Holy Spirit. There's no other way you'll know. You know? There's no other way. And the Spirit of God is in you. We have to learn to trust the Holy Spirit. Amen? We have to stop here because of time. But I want to really assure you. Paul wrote to Timothy. said, preach the word. The remedy for all the lies of the enemy, the manipulations of the enemy, the deception of the enemy, the remedy is the knowledge of God's word. Read the Bible for yourself. Even when somebody preaches, go back and read the Bible for yourself. Just to confirm that what the person is saying is true. Be careful and remember. 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 Somebody may lie to you and deceive you, but the consequences are still yours. The responsibility is still yours. You are, account- you are accountable for what you hear. You are accountable for who you listen to. You know, in that first Timothy chapter 2, verse 14, the Bible says that Eve was deceived. You know, Adam and Eve in the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, in chapter 3 of Genesis... Satan deceived Eve into eating the fruit God said not to eat. And the Bible says clearly she was deceived. And yet the Bible says that the sin, she transgressed because of that. So the fact that she was deceived did not exonerate her from the consequences of her actions. We read this prophet, the man of God, the fact that he was deceived did not exonerate him from the consequences of his disobedience to what God had told him. So we need to be careful. In these last days, be careful. When you switch on the television, be careful about who you are listening to. Be careful about the messages you are listening to. Be careful about visions and dreams and revelations you are reading after or reading about. You need to be careful. You need to be wise. Hallelujah. Be discerning because I tell you, the world is being deceived today. The Bible says that the liars and all these impostors will grow worse but we have to make sure we keep a clear mind that is what Paul wrote to Timothy keep a clear mind And by the Holy Spirit and by the word of God God will help you to discern the lie from the truth praise the name of Jesus Christ we have to stop here today let us pray